chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his, visions of his head while in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place, And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall be destroyed, which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, And the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four four kings, which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, ever, forever, and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and nails of bronze, which devoured bronze in pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns were on its head, and the other horn which came up before, which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. 
and shall devour the whole devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from the kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the other ones, and shall d- subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, and times a half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion, to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion. And the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account, as for me, Daniel. My thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance charged, but I kept the matter in my heart. Lord, God Almighty, the great I am, beginning and the end, Lord, thank you for your grace and your love for all of us. And Lord, though these things were troubling, You are mighty and your kingdom is here and your kingdom is coming. God, you are reigning in our lives and in our hearts. So, Lord, I just ask that you uh, help as we open your word today. That we would understand what you want us to hear. Um, Reign. Let your glory come, God. And we give this uh, time of your study to you, back to you, God. And we pray that... uh, your message comes through, and we can put all our ideas and traditions aside and hear what you want to show us in Jesus' name. Amen. What a perfect text for Mother's Day, huh? <clears throat> Happy Mother's Day. We're going to talk about the beast. <laughs> I can say that because my mom's not here. So, um, yeah, as we uh, as we take a look at what the scripture is laying out for us, it's it's interesting as we've been working our way through Daniel. <clears throat> the first uh, six chapters really deal with the historical things that are happening in Daniel's life. They kind of follow a chronology. Remember, uh, last time he was in the kingdom of uh, of uh, Darius the Mede, and um, and we had Daniel in the lion's den. And now you'll notice in chapter 7 we back up. Beginning in chapter 7, we <clears throat> begin to look at the visions. From 7 to 12, the visions that Daniel had in his ministry while he was serving, uh, both under uh, Nebuchadnezzar and through his time with the Medes and the Persians. And, but it's interesting because we just want to see the division. 1 through 6... Kind of tells us the practical stories about Daniel. 7 through 12, the visions. But 2 through 7 are in a different language. Remember, 2 through 7 are in, are in Aramaic. It sets that apart. It says, it says to us, there's something going on here. If you remember a few weeks back, Jason talked about the, the chiastic structure of Daniel. Or the fact that there's a, a chiasm. A chiasm is a, a thing that begins where you have... Something that's the same, and at the end, something that's the same. And each step kind of reflects one another until you get to the middle. And in the middle, you have the, the key point that the author is trying to get across. And if you look at the chiasm, the, the chiastic structure there in Daniel, when you get to the middle, what was the middle? Nebuchadnezzar's, the conquering of Nebuchadnezzar by God, and the rejection by Belshazzar uh, of God. So you see those two things put together. In other words, everybody needs to make a choice about what they're going to do with the Almighty. Everybody's got to come to a come to a decision with the Almighty. And you get those two things laid side by side. Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Nebuchadnezzar went crazy for seven seasons. And then his kingdom was restored to him. And he bows the knee to Jesus Christ. And then you see Belshazzar who saw all those same things. But decided to live his life 
just kind of partying it up, you know, and the, the enemies, remember the enemies outside? The writing on the wall, the handwriting, many, many tekel you farsin, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Today your kingdom is taken from you. So you have those two things laid out in the middle of that chiastic structure. In the beginning of the, of the chiastic structure is chapter 2. And if you remember, Daniel chapter 2 begins with a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he doesn't want to tell anybody what the dream was. Remember, he goes to his wise men and said, If you're really all that smart, you should be able to tell me both what I dreamed and what it means. And none of the wise guys could do it. Right? He's going to kill them all. And then he comes to Daniel. And Daniel says, well, I don't know the answer, but let me seek the, the king of heaven. He knows. So Daniel calls upon the name of the Lord. The Lord reveals to him both the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And that begins Daniel's journey. And remember the dream was a statue, head of gold, chest of silver, uh, a waist of bronze, legs of iron, and then feet of iron mixed with clay. Remember we talked about the basic idea that all the world's kingdoms have feet of clay, that they're all passing from one to the other, none of them are eternal. But a rock came out of the heavens, not cut with hands, struck the statue at his feet, obliterated it, and then grew until it filled the whole earth. And the final picture, that final mountain that takes and fills the whole earth, is a picture of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is eternal. The kingdom of God does last forever, does not pass away. <coughs> so you have this example, this picture of the kingdoms of men and how they go from gold to iron mixed with clay. And then the kingdom of God, eternal, unchanging, filling the whole earth. We have the rest of Daniel's experiences. King Nebuchadnezzar coming to a place, which I think Daniel chapter 7 is going to point to too as we Take a look at it in a minute. And then um, Belshazzar's rejection. And then we come to chapter 7. And in chapter 7 you have basically the same vision as chapter 2. Just from God's point of view. From man's point of view, kingdoms are pretty. Like a statue, gold, silver, bronze. From God's point of view, they're all beasts. From God's point of view, they're all little mini horrors, if you will. Leading up to the greatest horror of all. And uh, so today we're going we're gonna to take a look at those things. But I want you to see the comparison between chapter 2 and chapter 7. The things that they have in common. <coughs> Both of them detail four symbols of kingdoms, right? That are all passing from one to the other, followed by the kingdom of Messiah. Be in agreement? Four kingdoms followed by the kingdom of Messiah. Both chapters show a progressive inferiority. In other words, you got things moving from gold to iron, from lions to a beast you can't even express. Um, you also show, both of them show a tenfold division. In the final, remember the statue, it had two legs of iron, feet of iron mixed with clay, and then it said of the toes, that those toes were kings. Now, how many toes you got? Ten. That's how many I got. So I'm assuming that the statue had ten toes. Are we okay with that? Yeah, I guess I suppose it could have had eight or seven, or it doesn't, it doesn't say, but I imagine, since it didn't tell us how many toes, and far as I know, we all have ten. Ten's a reasonable conclusion. And when we look at the, this dream of the beast, it has ten what? Ten horns. Ten horns. We're going to talk about that. Then we also see that both chapters show the ultimate victory of Messiah. Right? The ultimate victory, Jesus Christ is King, rules and reigns forever. All the horrors that mankind can do to mankind will eventually one day be put down and Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. So, <clears throat> the good news is, everybody agrees on that part. Jesus wins. Now, how we get from now to then, we, we might have different discussions over. But, we all agree, ultimately, that Jesus is a winner. But there is a difference. There's something different that's mentioned in chapter 7. Well, there's a few things, but something that really sticks out. 
In chapter 7, you have this expression of the little horn. The little horn we didn't see in chapter 2. And so, we're going to hopefully be able to, to build on that idea as well. As that little horn becomes the most spoke about figure uh, among mankind, it seems like. Uh, we call him the Antichrist. You guys ever heard of him? Yeah, no, it's not Obama. So, relax. <laughs> after, hopefully, after next week you'll know why. <laughs> it's not. <clears throat> but as we take a look at Scripture, here's my, here's my goal and my hope for you. One of the things that this chapter is telling us is that all of history, God's hands are in. That none of this is a surprise or a shock to Him. That, that the things in this world are following a, a course, a, a direction that ultimately ends with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. God hasn't lost it, slipped, tripped, fell down, and... And everything's cattywampus and out of control. And sometimes our lives can feel that way, right? Sometimes our lives feel like, man, it's just chaos. But what the Word of God tells us is, while it might feel like or seem like chaos, God is in control. He's still on the throne. He has a purpose and a plan. That's why we can go to Romans 8.28 and we can say, For we know that all things work together for good to those who called. Uh, according to the purposes of God, those who love the Lord. How can we say that that's an absolute fact? Because God's in control. If God's not in control, you can't say that. You can say, I hope it all works out. But you can't say, we know all things work together for good. To those who love God, to the called according to His purpose. All things. We know that because God is in control. And that's what we see as we take a look. Let's take a look. Daniel chapter 7, <coughs> verse 1. In the first year, Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Okay, so in chronological order, that puts us between chapter 4 and 5. Now, maybe that doesn't matter to you. 553 B.C., roughly, Belshazzar is the last king of Babylon. Remember Daniel chapter 6? Daniel was with Darius the Mede. So we're roughly somewhere in the area of 14 years earlier when we look at Chapter 7. As you remember, we have the experiences of Daniel and then the visions of Daniel. Okay, so that's the division. We're looking at the visions of Daniel. So during the first year of Belshazzar, Daniel had a dream. And visions of his head while on his bed. And he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. So Daniel has a dream. He sees this vision. It wakes him up. It kind of freaks out. And he says, man, i got to write that down. Now, who's he writing it down for? Yeah, he's writing it down for us. He's writing it down for those who are going to read it down the line. When we come to the end of Daniel, you're going to find out that Daniel didn't get all the answers. Daniel had a lot of questions. He said, God, what's all this mean? Then God said, Daniel, write it down. It's not for you. But when knowledge increases, when people move to and fro, they'll understand the things that you have written here. So... Daniel writes it down. He writes it down. Writes down the vision, telling the main facts. So Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Four winds of heaven. And we're going to see that that, uh, phrase again on Wednesday night when we start the book of Revelation. So as we move through from 7 to 12, Much of the visions and the things we're going to see in Daniel relate directly to the book of Revelation. Especially what we're going to look at today. So it relates directly to the the book of Revelation, directly to the time of the end. This vision that Daniel has. The four winds. What's the four winds? The Bible tells us that there are four angels that hold back the wind in the book of Revelation. Four angels that hold back the wind. It's like... uh, an example of the Spirit of God moving throughout history. And, and there's a moment in the book of Revelation where God says, stop it. All of them stop. And they're all going to stop. Well, we'll look at that when we get to Revelation. But the idea, I just want you to see the four winds is the idea of God's Spirit moving and working in history among mankind. The four winds were churning up what? The great sea, Right? The Great Sea. Now you remember a number of times I told you 
that the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, are not a seafaring people. So for you and I, you know, when we think about when we were little, where was the monster always? Come on! So the monster was under the bed. Or where else could a monster be? In the closet. So if I told you, if I sat here and said, the monster under my bed, you're not actually going to think there's really a monster under my bed, right? But you know I'm talking about that, that seed of fear. That place where all bad things happen from, right? And so for the Jewish people, for the Hebrew people, that was the sea. The sea is a picture of that place from which come all this weird stuff, man. Things to be afraid of. So the, the, the chaos of the sea. In fact, the, the psalmist, I want to say somewhere around Psalm 107, talks about the fact that this sea, this picture of chaos that they are afraid of, is churned and turned and the wind blows and the storm comes by the voice of Yahweh. And then at the end of the psalm, you know what else it says? And at the voice of Yahweh, the storm ceases. You guys remember Jesus sitting in a boat with his disciples? Storm, crazy thing going on in the sea, remember? And then Jesus says, peace be still, and it freaked everybody out, right? Why did it freak them all out? Because they knew the only voice that could churn or stop the sea was Yahweh. They all looked at Jesus like, who are you? Who are you? Well, they come to know him. <clears throat> so Daniel here is saying, four winds churning up the sea. Okay, so the idea that, that God is at work, that God is moving, that God, God ultimately is in charge. Let's look at this idea of the sea. In Isaiah uh, 57, verse 20, <clears throat> it says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Isaiah 17, 12 and 13 say, Woe to the multitude of many people who make a noise like the roar of the seas and to the rushing of nations. They make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nation will rush like the rushing of many waters, but God will rebuke them. They will flee far away and be chased like the chaff of the mountains before the wind, like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. So the picture of all of humanity in this in this sea kind of churning, kind of churning. That's the picture of the dream that Daniel has. In fact, in Revelation chapter 13, which we're going to be looking at a little bit later, says this, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. So we see a similar picture, right? This coming up out of the sea in Revelation 13. Revelation 13.11 says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So we're going to see, <coughs> not only is this the sea this picture of chaos, but then it's always defined as coming up out of the earth. It does the same thing in Daniel. We'll see in just a moment. Revelation 17.1 Then one of the seven angels who had seven bulls came and talked to me and said, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who does what? Sits on the waters. Well, what are all those waters? What does the sea symbolize? Then he said to me, the waters which you saw, Revelation 17, 15, where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So it's like all of mankind pictured biblically is the sea, this rolling sea. And the, the thing causing the sea to, to, to either rise into storm or to sit and be calm is Yahweh. That God is in control, things haven't come all out of, out of whack, that God is, is moving and working according to His purposes. So you see this symbol of chaos and mankind in that place where all the scary things come from. When you read Revelation, and Revelation says, when we get to heaven, there will be no more sea. No more sea. How come? Because there's not going to be anything there to be afraid of. There's not going to be that place where things are being churned up because the kingdom of God has come. It's eternal. The Bible says on that that the Lord's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to kiss away all the hurt. Jesus says, see, I make all things new. 
that God's plan for history is a good plan. But still, as we look through it, ultimately we see that, that God is in control. Well, let's look at this, this, first, <coughs> this first beast. What's it say? The first beast. The first was like a lion, and it had eagle's wings. And I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Now, if this parallels the, the uh, vision of the statue, well, the, the interpretation of the statue, what was it that, that Daniel said? Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. The symbol of a lion was a, a common symbol all throughout time. So it's hard to say, well, let's just go find a country that used a lion as a symbol. Then you'd be, it'd be a shorter list to say who hasn't used a lion. When's the last time you've seen a nation say, you know what? Our mascot is the chipmunk. <laughs> right? Not too many people do that. Oh, it's a mosquito. Aren't you thankful that in the United States, Ben Franklin didn't win the argument? You know what his argument was? That it shouldn't be the eagle, it should be the turkey. That'd be just great. Can you imagine all the grief we'd be taking around the world? Yeah, turkey, so dumb it drowns when it rains. That's perfect. Perfect. So I'm thankful that that it's the eagle. So we're not looking necessarily for a nation whose symbol is the lion, but we just look at what Daniel told us about chapter 1. We have a chiastic structure, similar vision, Let's look at it. So, <clears throat> Babylon becomes the example of the lion. The lion. And he's described both ways in Jeremiah. Babylon is described both as a lion and as an eagle. Both as a lion and as an eagle. So when we look, he says <clears throat> that this, that this uh, lion had eagle's wings and I watched. And what happened to the lion? His wings get plucked off. Now you remember the, the meat, the middle section of the classic structure. The important point that Daniel's pointing to is what? Nebuchadnezzar full of pride and what happened to him? God brought him low, huh? God brought him low. Can you imagine something lower than plucking an eagle's wings? So the wings are plucked from this lion. The eagle's wings have been plucked from it. And it, it becomes a picture of the humility of Nebuchadnezzar, the humility of the nation. As God was telling Nebuchadnezzar, I'm the one in charge. I know you think you made this great kingdom, but I gave it to you. And what happens at the end of that moment? Nebuchadnezzar goes through those seven seasons. What occurs? The next thing that occurs is Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree to all the land that there is a God, the God the Most High. And he writes for us Daniel chapter 4. Penned by Nebuchadnezzar. What happened to him? He had a heart lifted up against God, but in the end, a heart like a man was given to him. Ezekiel says that the reason why so many of us can't see is because we have a heart of stone. But God can give us a heart of flesh. We have a hard heart. God can give us a soft heart. To me, when I look at that first beast, what I see is this lion, regal, pride, strong, powerful, but he's humbled. Given the heart of a man, it's a great picture of exactly what happened to Babylon. Exactly what God did in that first kingdom, that first beast laid out for us. Description both of his greatness and ultimately of his humility, his, his humbling. Then the next verse says, and suddenly another beast. <clears throat> so the world kingdoms move from one to another, right? Does anybody stay on top forever? Yeah, we learned that from history, right? Right? People are always moving. We used to be on top. I'm sure some of us think we still are. I'm not sure that's accurate. But, nonetheless, that's, that's something that's constantly changing in history, isn't it? Nobody stays on top. So, it says, suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth, beneath its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise and devour much flesh. And when we look at the chest of silver, the next kingdom that, fe- that followed Babylon was what's called the Medo-Persian Empire. They were originally two, the Medes and the Persians. And the Medes kind of start, they get the ball rolling, then the Persians join them. 
And as they come together, they become this huge military force that is able to, to conquer the world at that time. And this huge military force, the, the Persians grow taller, bigger than the Medes and ultimately take over. So the Medes start it, the Persians join it, they're together, and then the Persians rise up and ultimately becomes a, a Persian empire. And it's described for us like this bear, this powerful bear who's able to, to conquer, strong. But what did the Bible say? It's higher on one side than the other. Doesn't it? He's raised up on one side. In fact, in chapter 8, when he describes the Medo-Persian Empire in the way of a... <coughs> I want to say it's a goat. might have been a ram. Described as a ram, it's going to say the exact same phrasing. Talking specifically about the Medo-Persian Empire in chapter 8, which is three weeks away probably. It's going to say it had two horns and one was raised up above the other. And the bear had one side raised above the other. I think he's talking about the exact same thing. He's saying the Persians were greater, became greater than the Medes, so it's raised up on one side. Persia becomes greater. And we talk about the conquest, the conquest of the Medo-Persian Empire. <clears throat> they, their major conquest was threefold. Lydia, Babylonia, and Egypt. What's in his mouth? Three ribs. Three main enemies that are defeated. Now there's a lot of enemies that are defeated, but these are the three main ones. The three main guys that are, are, are countries that are defeated. Lydia, you say, what is Lydia? What is Lydia? You guys ever heard of a guy named Croesus? He was the king of Lydia, Croesus. Well, let's see. Croesus is the guy who invented coins. Minting coins. You know what they used to say about him? Everything he touched turned to gold. Sound familiar? Yeah, so Lydia, that's the first one. Babylonia, which we see, uh, it t- took place in, uh, in chapter uh, 5. And so... And then after Babylonia, Egypt. So the, the symbol of the three ribs in his mouth becomes a picture of the next kingdom. Babylon, Medo-Persian. We see the picture of the, of the bear lumbering. And then what's it told? Arise, devour much flesh. So the idea is the three ribs don't satisfy it. It wants more and more and more and more. So it churns up as much as it can. Now I know there's probably some guys here who, who uh, saw a movie a few years ago. Gosh, maybe a long time ago. Um, about a battle that took place at the hot gates in Greece. You guys know what I'm talking about? What's that called? Oh, look, I knew somebody saw that movie. So the movie 300 was about, you know, what was that? The Medo-Persian Empire doing what? Trying to expand. Where were they trying to expand into? Greece. Constantly looking for more to conquer, more to conquer, rise and devour much flesh. But then what's the Bible say next? Well, the Bible tells us, next we have a winged leopard. After this, I looked and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. And the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So the Medo-Persian Empire, they, they want to stretch and they want to go out. So they, they go and they start this thing with Greece. Well, later on, they're sorry about that. Why? Where they stir up a nest. What, what, who's in that nest they stir up? A guy, young guy. He's going to die when he's 33 years old. His name is Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. So now you have this leopard. A, a cat moves fast, but in case it didn't move fast enough, we're going to give it four wings. So four wings, fast cat. He's going to move quick. There's a lot of quickness in this next kingdom. So... You have this amazing development. In two years, Alexander the Great conquers the world. Defeats the then power of the Persian Empire. Two years. It's pretty fast. It's pretty fast. (laughs) In fact, Daniel chapter 8 is going to talk more about Alexander the Great. He's going to be named as the king of Greece. And they're going to say that it's a goat with one horn that, that, that is going to attack the ram, a two horns, remember one higher than the other, Medo-Persians. This goat's going to attack this ram, and he's going to wipe it out. But then, that horn's going to break when it's young. 
And in the place of that one horn, what's going to happen? Four horns are going to grow. How many heads on a leopard? Four heads. What happens after Alexander conquers the world? He goes back to visit at one of the Persian kings, Cyrus. He goes back to, to visit the place of his burial. He gets sick. He dies. And the kingdom of Greece is handed to who? His four generals. His four generals take over. The four heads of the leopard. Cassander takes over Macedonia. Lysander takes over Thrace and Asia Minor. Seleucus or Seleucus takes over Syria and Persia. And Ptolemy takes over <coughs> excuse me, Egypt. Now in chapter 8, it's going to give us a lot more information on that. But this is just kind of an overview of the kingdoms of men. What do the kingdoms of men look like? A bunch of beasts. What are they always doing? Killing each other. Fighting. Trying to build a kingdom. Isn't that really what we see the kingdom of men still doing today? <coughs> the names change, right? But ultimately, isn't it the same? Then the, the players may change a little bit, but we look at Iran and Iraq, what are we talking about? Persia. We, we take a look around, we got this, this player, uh, uh, Russia, right? What do they want? Same thing man's always wanted. The names change. But the heart of man, it don't. The heart of man stays hard. The heart of man is in rebellion against God. The heart of man is just constantly churning, trying to get his. That's why in Romans chapter 8 it says, All of creation earnestly yearns for the revealing of the sons of God. What's it talking about? All of creation earnestly yearns for the kingdom of Jesus Christ to come in power. To come in power. And that's the, the vision that Daniel saw. That's the dream that Nebuchadnezzar saw. All laying out, all moving in direction toward this moment. But then we have another character. <coughs> another character. In fact, this next one's different than all the others. And I would say this next one is different than the statue. Why? Because it says this kingdom is not like any other kingdom. It says this beast is not like any other beast. There can't even be described. In fact, the only thing that they can call this one is a beast. The beast. Look what it says. And after this I saw the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong, huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with its feet. And it was different from all other beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. We see this character of this beast. This final kingdom. And I think the reason why Daniel in the vision sees three beasts that, that match up with the statue is he's showing us, look, this is the commonality in the kingdom of men. He's not saying this is the only kingdoms that ever happened. He's just saying, let's look at these. Babylon, beastly. Medo-Persian, beastly. Greece, beastly. If we kept going, Rome, beastly. What if we, what if we jumped into the future? What if we talked about Britain? We were talking about England. Oh, no, they were good. No, they weren't. Look at history. What do they have in common? Beastly. The same mankind is constantly resembling, apart from God, a beast. But then he looks at a beast in the end. A beast at the end of days. I believe he's looking at, and he says it had ten Horns, it's going to conquer, you're alright sis, it's going to conquer the whole earth. How much of the earth? So it's going to conquer all of it. Well that's a little different, because most of, it's okay, most of these other kingdoms are, are small, right? I mean there were world kingdoms for their time, but it was a small world then. It's a big world now, isn't it? It's a big world now, but let's look at, at specifically why we say that. Look at verse 19 of chapter 7. Look, as far as we're going to go is verse 7. So, <clears throat> you guys have uh, officially reached the end, only this is where I'm going to confuse you all. So, hold on. Strap in. We want to understand end times prophecy. This is where it's at. This is where the rubber meets the road, man. 
So Daniel 7.19, then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast. I'm not making it up. I'm just going to do what the Bible says. We okay with that? Okay, here's the fourth beast. It was different from all the others. Exceedingly dreadful, teeth of iron, its nails of bronze. It devoured broken pieces, trampled with the residue of its feet. Now some people would just immediately go to Rome. I think this is looking past Rome. I think this is looking to the end. I don't think we needed another example of the kingdoms of men that are beastly. I think this is the final thing, the final battle, the final enemy, if you will, in the battle with Messiah. Look at verse 23, Daniel seven twenty-three. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which will be different from what? All other kingdoms. Different from all other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth. So first it says it's different than all other kingdoms, and then it tells us how. How is it different? It's going to devour the whole earth. It's going to trample it and break it into pieces. I don't think we've seen that yet. I don't think we have seen that going on. It's different from all the other beasts. All the other beasts were like a leopard, like a bear, like a lion, right? Now we got one we can't name. Now we got one that we can't name. And we notice <coughs> as we come to this final, it has something in common with the statue. Some kind of confederacy. Now here's where people get goofy, and, and I'll do my best not to get goofy. Um, this is what I say. Okay, the statue had, we talked about it. How many toes? Ten toes. Do all your ten toes happen at the same time? Wait, Jackie, you're confusing me. What are you talking about? Well, like, you don't have one toe pop out, and then another toe pop out, and then another toe pop out, right? When do your toes come out? They come out all at the same time. I'm not like, well, you know, when I was 30, I only had seven toes, but I'm up to, I'm up to ten now. At 50 years old, I'm up to 10. But sometimes when people come to biblical prophecy, that's what they do. They say, okay, here's the 10 kings. And they named all these 10 guys in order. What are you talking about, man? I didn't get my toes once at a, one at a time. I got my toes how? All at once. Well, when the description of the 10 horns, does it say 10 horns just pop out one at a time? What's it say? He had how many horns? 10 horns. So let's not make it overly complicated. Let's just say there are ten kings. There is some type of a, of a conglomeration, a division, a, a ten guys who come together and are going to form the final kingdom. Ten come together and form the final kingdom. Now, I don't care where you want to pull those ten out of. I don't think we can know. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I, I, I can barely know what I know so far. <laughs> and if I try to add any more, it's just going to move into silliness. So what I want is, just what's the Bible tell me? The Bible tells me it had ten toes. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 41. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, the kingdom will be divided, but the strength of the iron will be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron, partly clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong, partly fragile. And as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men. That's a weird statement, by the way. Mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of, what's it say? These kings. And in the day of what kings? These kings. Which one, what are they just talking about? Ten what? Ten toes. So in the day of those kings, in the days of those kings, the kingdom of God is going to come and power, and might. Now I'm telling you that the kingdom of God came when Jesus Christ came. And I'm telling you that we, as a church of Jesus Christ, have a responsibility to be salt and light in this world, revealing the kingdom of God to everyone who will hear, anybody who wants to listen. But I'm also going to tell you that it's going to require the return of Jesus Christ to see the kingdom of God come in force. That doesn't mean that our job then is to just wait around for Jesus to come snatch us up. We got a job to do. We got, he didn't say, just hang around and I'll come get you. Now he did say, I'll come get you, but he didn't say, hang around. What did he say? Get to work. Get to work. To do what? To proclaim 
The kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come to share the gospel with whoever will listen. Well, let's relate this to the ten horns. When we look at, at the Bible, when we study the Bible, we always want to let the Bible tell us what the Bible's talking about. Are we okay with that? So I'm not going to open up another book and say, well, this is what Shakespeare says the ten horns mean. What I'm going to do is say, what's the Bible tell us? Does the Bible tell us? I think it does. So, we're going to go on a little journey. Strap in. Because we're going to go to Revelation 12, Revelation 13, Revelation 17. Which, if you know anything about Revelation, is in a really meaty part of Revelation. Which means you haven't done 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 yet. Which are helpful. <laughs> but it's going to directly relate to Daniel chapter 7. Look at it. Revelation chapter 12, verse 3. A sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great and fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. Seven heads and ten horns. Now, here's what we tend to do. Let me help you because you're going to see that this is, in fact, reality as we work our way through. The, the great red serpent, a picture of Satan has seven heads, but only the seventh head has ten horns. It doesn't have ten horns on all the heads, or two horns here, one horn there, two horns here. All ten horns on the last head. What? I told you, strap in. we got to keep moving. Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. Revelation 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Same kind of phraseology from Daniel, right? Having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw, listen, was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth were like the mouth of a lion. Oh, those three things sound familiar, don't they? Where did, where we talk about a leopard, a lion, and a bear? I was just here in Daniel chapter 7? You're kidding me. So look at Revelation 13 is pointing back to that same vision. A beast, seven heads, ten horns. It has within it all these different pieces and parts of the kingdoms that went before. And we're going to see why in just a moment. We're going to see why. And it says, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So where does the beast receive its authority from? The devil, right? The devil gives its authority to the beast, okay? <clears throat> the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. Okay, this is where people start getting confused. We think... That that means the Antichrist is going to be killed and do a fake resurrection. Well, that's not what it means. The heads aren't kings. What was kings? The horns, right? The toes, the horns, toes, kings. Not the heads? No, not the heads. Not the heads. We're going to wrap up the heads in a minute. We're going to wrap up the heads in a minute. Look at it. Look what he says. I saw one of the heads mortally wounded. All the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon... Who's the dragon? The devil. Okay, so they're worshiping the devil. They worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy. He was given authority to continue 42 months. Anybody know how long that is? Three and a half years. Oh, it's crazy. In Daniel it says times, time, and a half time. Two, one, and a half. Three and a half. Oh, interesting. Three and a half. He's able to continue 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell with him. Okay, so hold all this information. I know the, the basket's getting full. Uh, uh, this is supposed to be Mother's Day. Jackie's talking about beasts. It's crazy. End of the world. Uh, all the kingdoms of man. Man, I just wanted to come to church and hear about how great my mom was. <laughs> <laughs> and now, man, I got all this stuff going on. Uh, but the good news is, 
this is going to end in like seven minutes and, and you'll get to go out and have a picnic. But when we, so I said, you to hold this stuff we talked about. Hold it, okay? Remember I said the heads, that's not the kings. And, and the horns are a picture of the kings. All the horns are on one head. The toes and the horns are the same. Ten toes, ten horns. Okay, all right, I, think I, can, I think I can track you. Revelation 17, verse 8. The beast which you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. What? Okay, wait, wait, don't go nowhere. (laughs) Don't get cross-eyed on me yet. Hang on. Listen, he's going to describe it. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. They are also seven kingdoms. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he will continue for a short time. Okay, the heads. So there's two pictures here. We're talking about the woman who rides a beast. It says the city she dwells in is the city of seven, seven mountains, seven hills. The most famous city for being built on seven hills is Rome. So the picture is somehow in the end times of Rome tying in to it all. But then it also says there's seven kings. Seven kings are a part of this. Now, when we look at the seven kings, it says five have fallen. Five of the heads have fallen. So you got Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Who wrote this book? Who wrote Revelation? John, during what kingdom? Rome, right? Rome's in charge. So Rome's the next kingdom. So it says five have fallen. One is, which is the one that is? Rome. Rome currently is king. So one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he will continue for a short time. So Rome was currently the kingdom, but we all know Rome's going to pass away. And in the end, there will be another kingdom marked by what? Ten kings coming together. Now, that's why I said, remember, the the ten horns are on one head. The ten horns are on the last head of the the seven-headed beast. And it says, uh, they will continue a short time. They will continue a short time. And we're going to be building on this the next couple of days. What do I mean? Those ten kings are going to start a kingdom, and that kingdom is going to be partly weak, partly strong. Remember, talked about that? But then, Daniel said, I saw something sprout up among the horns. You remember? A little horn. What did the little horn do? Pushed three other horns out of the way and took over. What do we call that guy? The Antichrist. So, it's partly weak, partly strong. It's going to continue for a short time. It's going to continue for a short time. Look what it says. Uh, And the beast that was and is not is himself the eighth. So the Antichrist himself is the beast who's going to come on, take over the seventh kingdom, and in a way become the eighth kingdom. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings, which have received as yet no kingdom. So at the time John wrote this were these kings already living, doing their thing. John, when he writes Revelation, says they haven't come yet. These are ten kings who haven't come yet. They have no kingdom, but they receive authority for one hour. Temporary authority for one hour as kings with the beast. So what happens? The beast is a symbol. The beast in Daniel chapter 7 is a symbol of that final kingdom that's going to rise up against Messiah. We read about the battle between Messiah and that final kingdom in Revelation chapter 19. The place where that battle takes place, we're going to get to visit when we go to Israel. What's the name of the place? Megiddo, Armageddon. So, that's where that battle is going to take place. That's Revelation chapter 19. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel got to see a glimpse of what that kingdom is going to look like. The kingdom of men, always devouring one another. 
always devouring, ultimately God in control, moving to place the Messiah as King of kings and Lord of lords. And oh, how I look forward to that day. But all along history, there's a purpose. There's a purpose and a plan for why we're here. And we're moving from to. We're all moving toward Messiah. We're all moving toward His kingdom. We're all moving toward His place. So the beast that was and is not and yet is, the head that is not, the head that is mortally wounded, is Rome. The kingdom of Rome. Gone. But then what's going to happen? There's a revival that takes place. It comes back to life. It comes back to life under ten kings. And as it comes back to life under ten kings, all the world is going to praise the beast that was and is not and yet is again. And then those ten kings, there's going to be a world leader who comes up and pops out three of them and takes over the whole shebang and conquers the whole world and makes war with the people of God until Jesus Christ, Messiah, comes back in Revelation chapter 19 and sets it all right. Sets it all to right. The battle that takes place in the end of days. Five kingdoms have fallen. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. One is Rome. The seventh revived Roman Empire is coming under ten kings. And a little horn is going to uproot three and take over power and will himself become the eighth. This is the dreadful beast of Daniel chapter 7. The kingdoms of men are constantly moving toward outright rebellion against God. Don't you see it right now? That's not hard to see, is it? We turn on the news. So we see this motion. We see the pieces moving. We see things happening. Does God tell us so we all freak out? No, what's He tell us? He says, look, man, you don't got forever. You got a temporary period of time. Right? Our life is... uh, Two dates with a dash in between. That's it. So we, we have a temporary period of time. What are we going to do with what God's given us? What are we going to do with what God's given us? It's not so we can quake in fear. What is it that God's trying to tell Daniel? Look, I got this all in my hands, Daniel, from the beginning to the end. I got all these kingdoms. I know how they're going to look. I know what they're going to do. I know what's going to happen in the end of days. And I know what's happening now. Daniel, I got this. But Daniel, will you be my man for such a time as this? Daniel, will you stand in this kingdom and bear witness to two different kingdoms about the truth of Almighty God? Daniel, will you stand in the gap? And the message hasn't changed 2,000 years later. Because God's message to us is, look, I got all of history. I've got it handled. I know where we've come from and where we're going. What I want to know is do I have men and women here today willing to stand in the gap? Willing to pray for their nation? Willing to share the gospel? Willing to tell people about Jesus Christ, the coming King? Willing to take the time they have, however long it might be, and bear witness to the truth? The message that God's got it. He's in control. Daniel will tell you, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Revelation will tell you, 1 through 22. You just got to look. The story is not to freak you out. The story is to say, God's got a plan and we're moving to the ultimate purpose. What are we doing now? Listen, last thing I'm not saying we're going to pray. God gave everybody something. Jesus told several parables about it. He talks about the parable of the talents. He talks about the parable... Uh, where he gives to each one something. And then they were to take that something that they had and do something with it, right? So my question is, God has given to everyone in this place uh, the opportunity to hear the gospel, the opportunity to receive the gospel, the opportunity to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with it? You just take it in the back and bury it in a hole? And wait for that day when Jesus comes? And say, I was, I was too afraid to do anything with this, so I buried it in the back. <clears throat> that didn't work out so good for that guy. Or are you going to take that which God has given you and do what He is asking you to do with it? Share the good news. What's the good news? Jesus Christ has saved us from the wrath of God. 
That we don't have to face the wrath of God because Jesus Christ faced the wrath of God for us. And all we have to do is bow the knee, repent and believe. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, man, and he, He's going to wash us white as snow, make us clean, give us hope. So when we look at our crazy out-of-bounds world with all these beasts trying to eat each other, we don't got to freak out. Because at the end, where am I? It says, then the whole kingdom was given to who? The saints of God. The saints of God receive the kingdom. Receive the kingdom. Jesus is going to gather up all the saints, and he's going to gather up the kingdom, and he's going to take it to his father and say, here, the redeemed. That's the history of mankind. (coughs) So if you're confused, come back next week. And give me another chance to make it a little bit straighter. Will you stand up and pray with me?